Well, I hope that uh, helps you all to get to know each other just a little bit uh, better. Good morning. Um, man, it's good to see you all. Uh, happy Father's Day to the dads in the house. And uh, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome. We're glad that you chose to come and spend some of your morning here with us. We are going to continue a, a series uh, that we started last week, and this is just a, a walk through Galatians chapter 5 in a series that we creatively called Freedom. Uh, because that's exactly what we're after. We want to take steps and figure out what it looks like for us to enjoy and experience a little bit more of the freedom that Jesus Christ offers to us. And whether you realize it or not, whether you've thought about it or not, the reality is every single one of us sitting in this room needs a little more freedom. And again, the teenagers love me for life for saying this, but we all need a little more freedom. And if you were here last week, you heard us talk about freedom. It's not really that spiritual concept uh, in and of itself. Freedom is really the idea of being able to do what you want. Freedom is a thing that happens when restriction is removed and obligation is removed. When I'm no longer restricted from or obligated to do anything, I am free. And as we started to see last week, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, freedom is not just something you dream about. Freedom is something Jesus has actually given to you. Jesus has set you free from anything that would restrict you from or obligate you to do anything that prevents you from living fully in the way he's designed you and created you to live. He's made us free if we're his followers, which means there is nothing in your life that should keep you from living fully for him. And yet the reality is all of us need to learn what it looks like to enjoy that freedom, especially if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure if we had time to talk, we would hear about ways where we need to experience a little more freedom, ways where we're still believing the lie that says, I cannot, I can't, I can't say no to this temptation. That's not true. I can't forgive this person. I can't love this person. I can't ignore that text that brings me back into a spiraling situation. I can't fight for this marriage. Now, Jesus has set us free from anything that would restrict us from living fully the way he's designed us to live. By the way, it's really important that we understand the freedom of which we are going to be speaking in the book of Galatians is the freedom to live fully the way he has designed us to live. Because if you show up here talking about freedom, Jesus has set me free from the speed limit, and you start driving like crazy, I'm not paying your ticket. That's on you. If you start to say the Bible says Jesus has set me free from the law of gravity, and you start doing dumb stuff, hey, just please sign a waiver and release us from any liability. That's not what this is talking about. I'm free. For, yeah, you're free, but you're also free to experience the consequences of whatever you choose to use your freedom on. This is really speaking about what does it mean to be unshackled from whatever is keeping me from living fully as the Lord designs me to live. And so this morning, we want to start talking about some of the usual suspects. We want to start talking about some of the things that most greatly threaten 
our freedom. Some of the things that are, are the greatest culprits in keeping us from enjoying freedom, and we may not be aware of them, but they have a way of wooing us into relinquishing the freedom that's already ours and missing what it looks like to live fully for him. That was true with the Galatians. And so we want to look at some of what they were experiencing and find that even a couple of thousand years removed, we are experiencing similar things. So if you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be uh, in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse um, number 2. If you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, hey, we would love to get a physical copy in your hands. Please head to the connection corner. Let someone know outside those back doors, and it'll be our joy to hand this, maybe not this one, this one's mine, but one like it to you. In the meantime, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen for you to follow along. Galatians chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2, and we'll get right into it. Here's what Paul says. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So, let's pause there and just talk a little bit about circumcision. Um, because Paul pretty much said you cannot be a Christian and be circumcised. And kids, that's when church got super awkward that Father's Day. Um, <laughs> woo! Um, Paul is warning the Galatians to watch out for things that threaten to woo them away from the freedom that's theirs in Christ. And the first thing he goes after, the first thing he warns them about is circumcision. <laughs> but not really um, circumcision. He's not really, really going after circumcision. It's something even more painful. Uh, an old church word that if you've grown up in the church, you will recognize, and it's the word legalism. Legalism. Oh, legalism will rob you of the freedom that's yours rightfully in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about legalism because, again, this is more comfortable than having um, circumcision up there on the screen. Uh, legalism. Uh, legalism is the art of using the law of God to earn the love of God. Legalism. Legalism is any belief that says you can be more accepted or you can be more embraced by God if you just keep or obey a, a, a certain rule or a certain list of rules. Legalism. Legalism is a belief that there is any command in the Bible that will earn you credit with God. Legalism. It will steal your joy. Similarly, Legalism is the belief that there are some special sins that have the power to make God change his mind about you or change his posture towards you. Legalism. 
The idea that there is some special rule that will make God angry with you or make God love you a little less. If you believe there is some rule, some command, some sin that will get God to love you more or love you less, that will get God to change his posture towards you. Legalism. That was the great threat to the Galatians' joy. Legalism. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel were the chosen people of God. Um, God gave them his promises. God gave them his purposes. God uh, gave them his laws to obey. Um, God gave them 613 some odd laws that they had to obey, and they had to obey perfectly. They were his people. That's what they were called to do. And what they did was they entered into a contract with God, and it was a contract of performance and punishment. And the way it worked was if you performed in keeping with the requirements of the law, then you became eligible to be blessed by God. God was pleased on the basis of your performance, and you became eligible for his blessing. If, on the other hand, you messed up on any one of the 613 laws, God was displeased, and you became subject to punishment, even punishment, to three or four generations after you. God's chosen people were in a contractual agreement with God of performance and punishment. If you happened to be a non-Jew, you weren't an ethnic Israelite, you're out. You're out. You were automatically in breach of contract because you were violating a bunch of God's laws even if you didn't know it. And there was no clear path for you to get back in with God or for you to get in with his chosen people, except there was a little-known loophole by which someone who was not a Jew could become one of God's people and could enter into the contract of performance and punishment. Any idea, by the way, what the price of admission into becoming one of God's people and becoming uh, you know, part of the contract was? Any idea? I'll tell you. Circumcision. Circumcision. If you were a Gentile, an outsider, and you wanted to become part of, of this contract, you wanted to become a part of God's people, then every male in your home, eight days and older, had to be circumcised. And then, of course, you had to then start to keep all 613 laws perfectly. Does it feel like it just got darker in here? Okay, that's not just me. And then you had to start keeping the... Thank you. Um, I'll be here all the rest of this morning. Um, but then you had to start keeping his laws perfectly. Circumcision was a price of admission. And by the way, there's a verse to prove it. Um, this is in um, um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 48. Look at what it says. It says, an alien living among you, a non-Jew that is, living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he, 
may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The rite of passage, the price of entry to be one of God's special people was some foreskin and some 613 laws. Question, how thrilled do you suspect the Galatians were when Paul showed up in their province and made the most epic of all announcements imaginable? Because they were outsiders. They weren't part of God's chosen Nation, And then Paul shows up and he makes this epic announcement. He says, new contract. There is a new covenant. There is a way for anybody, regardless of your birthrights, to be right with God. And that way has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he preach, preaches the gospel to them and tells them about Jesus and how Jesus has come and, and he has paid the price. And Jesus has paved the way for broken and sinful outsiders like you all to find forgiveness from every violation of every one of those 613 sins immediately. And for you to find freedom from this system of performance and punishment. And for you to find friendship with a God who used to be foreign to you. And for you to now find fullness of life all in the person of Jesus Christ. This was amazing to them. And your cost is simply faith. All you need to do is believe and receive the finished work of Jesus. That he was perfect in your place and he was punished in your place. So now you and God are good. All you need to do is believe and receive it. It's no longer about keeping 613 rules and regulations. Jesus kept them perfectly for you if you trust him. It's no longer about circumcision. It's no longer about ceremonies. Jesus was cut off from his father so that you might be included in him. You just need to believe that Jesus accomplished this on your behalf. It's no longer about performance and punishment to somehow earn the love of God because Jesus performed Perfectly, and Jesus was punished completely for your mistake and your mess. And now God loves you, and God is smiling on you because of Jesus. Woo! You can imagine the Gentiles received this message with incredible gladness. They believed and they embraced the gospel and they started to live in the forgiveness of their sins. They started to enjoy the freedom from performance, just like many of us did when we came to Christ. But then, all of a sudden, that came under threat. That started to change as a group of detractors showed up and started to mess with the message of the gospel. A group that became known as the Judaizers. They said, hey, uh, real quick correction on something Paul shared. This just in. Uh, the ethnic Jews are still God's special people. 
They're the ones he's given his promises and his purpose to. They're the ones that are right with him. They're the ones who experience his forgiveness and his freedom. If you really, really want to be right with God, there's a small price of admission. Any idea, by the way, what the price of admission was? Yeah. Circumcision. To be really right with God, you, you guys are going to have to get circumcised. I mean, faith is fine, but foreskin is better. Y'all are going to need to get circumcised. If you're really going to be accepted and embraced by God, and we have a verse to prove it. And all of a sudden, a group of people who had been enjoying the joy of forgiveness started to feel estranged from God. They started to wonder, maybe is God really okay with us? Is he, maybe he's mad at us. I don't want to take the risk of punishment if we don't perform what's required of us. And grown men started snipping away, terrified that if they didn't, they might be excluded. They might be in breach of the contract. In one minute, they're reveling in grace and reveling in joy. And the next minute has come here, Tommy. Sorry, buddy. It's more painful for you than it is. No, it's painful for both of us. Legalism. So Paul hears about this, and he is furious, which is why he pens this letter to the Galatians, and he is just screaming, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not, pun intended, give an inch to legalism or it will rob you of all your freedom. Don't do it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So here's the thing. We read this passage, um, you know, a couple of thousand years removed, and it's tempting for us to be totally judgy of these, you know, primitive, you know, primitive Christians who, who didn't get it and tempting to feel a little more enlightened without our technology and all. But I know for sure that Paul would write us a very similar letter to the letter he wrote to the Galatians. Here's why. See, because we, we're too advanced spiritually and theologically to get tripped up on things as crazy and ridiculous as circumcision. That's just absurd. It's ridiculous. But the point is not circumcision. The point is legalism. The point is anything that I believe has the power to make God love me more or make God love me less. Now we're too advanced to deal with stuff like circumcision. What we deal with is stuff like um, uh, the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath? I grew up in the church, and that was a big buzzword. The Sabbath. Right? 
The Sabbath is a holy day of the week. When I was growing up, we were not allowed to have friends over on Sunday. We weren't allowed to play on Sunday. We weren't allowed to watch TV on Sunday. When we were old enough to work, we had to make sure we got a job that did not ask us to work on Sunday. Why? Because there's a verse that says that it's the, 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 the Sabbath is holy, and so no one is supposed to work. What happens if we work on Sunday, Mama? Ah, God will kill you, whatever. So I just don't do it. Right? That became for us the special law. It wasn't circumcision. We're too advanced for that. We went with the Sabbath. For Sabbath. For some of us, it's just church attendance. Oh, man, if you skip church and you are not deathly ill, then the Spirit of God is frowning and hovering over your bed while you are sleeping in and is ready to do some things to you. I mean, the cross is fine, but church attendance, that's really, really key if you're going to be right with God. In fact, that's why some of you are here this morning. <laughs> Just say. And bless Bertha, who happened to smoke. <laughs> no. No, you do not smoke. And there's a verse somewhere. I've not seen it, but there's a verse about smoking. And if you smoke, God going to smoke you, right? And so you just, you didn't smoke. Um, that was a special rule. Or the devotions. I mean, how many days in a row have you done your devotions? Because you know that if you're going to be right, if you're going to be accepted, if you're going to be embraced by God, you've got to be in the word on a daily basis. And if you're not, if you're not what? Mm, I'm not going to say it, but I'm thinking it. And you know what? We're too advanced for circumcision. We've moved on to porn. And then it got quiet in church. Right? Okay, we have porn-proofed our homes because we just know that if our kids get into it, God will uncreate them on the spot. He'll hate them, and they are going to be destroyed. Now our kids overeat, and they mouth off to their dad on Father's Day. That one's fine, but porn, that's the special law. That's the price of entry. If you mess up on that, God won't embrace you. God won't accept you. So you can slip up on a bunch of other things, but not circumcision, not porn, not Sunday attendance. Or you had an extra drink. Mm. And we have verses to prove it. I suspect Paul would write a letter to us similar. Because if we're not careful, legalism will sneak in and steal our joy. Because we start to believe there are special things, special sins, special laws that, that, that we must keep. We must perform if we're going to keep God from punishing us. We must perform if we're going to keep God embracing us and accepting us. And I think Paul would write... A similar letter. Legalism is any law that I believe will earn me more of God's love. Any command I believe will earn me credit with God. And Paul would say, if you let yourselves get on Nicorette to earn God's smile, Christ will be of no value to you. If you let yourself say, if I don't look at porn, God will love me, and if I do, God won't, Christ will be of no value to you. If you start to say, if we don't go to church, kids, God is going to be mad, Christ will be of no value to you. He's talking about legalism, that ancient thief of joy. 
And then he starts to get a little bit more specific with how uh, legalism threatens our freedom in Jesus. And he tells us a number of things about legalism. The first thing I think that shows up is this idea that legalism steals passion. Steals passion. It'll leave you wondering why the name and the work of Jesus just don't thrill your soul. Jesus is just, eh. You hear people talking about they love Jesus and they revel in who he is. And if you're honest, he's all right. But no, I'm not enthralled with him. You find yourself just a little disimpassioned when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've let legalism steal your passion. Did you see that in verse 2? Paul says, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, if you let yourself quit doing that thing to be more accepted to God, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He says, Jesus will be of no value to you. You won't see his beauty and you will not feel his worth. He'll just be as a right and that makes sense, by the way. Why would you be enamored or impressed or enthralled with his finished work if you believe you still have to perform to finish it? Yeah, he's all right. I mean, he got me started at the cross, but it's still on me. Why would you be grateful for his forgiveness if you still have to scrub yourself clean for God? through abstaining from porn or abstaining from the extra drink, if it's still based on what you have to do, why would you be enthralled with the forgiveness of Jesus? No, Jesus will be of no value to you because it's really up to your ability to perform. And I think that's why some of us will go crazy, by the way, at the sound of the name of you know, our favorite team's draft pick but our hands will never come out of our pockets in the presence of Jesus or listening, which is, he's all right. What is, I mean, really, I still have to work. Legalism might have stolen passion. That's why if I told you, hey, uh, Joanna Gaines, she's, she's in the lobby, you would stampede children, some of you. <laughs> you know, but, man, Jesus is all right. I mean, did he even really fix me up? Or, you know, if I tell you the next season is out on Netflix, ah and Jesus is out of the grave, yeah, it's all right. He's all right. Jesus will be of no value. Legalism will steal passion. That's some of us. No joy, no passion for the one who set us free because we're still trying to earn the love of God through the law of God performing and in fear of punishment. So how awesome is Jesus if I still have to finish his job? And Paul says not only will it steal your passion but legalism demands perfection. Legalism demands perfection. And this is so sobering what he says. Um, it's this idea that if you start down the path of legalism, you have to go all the way. 
If you start treating certain laws or certain sins like they have special power to change God's disposition or God's posture towards you, then you've got to treat them all that way. Because who are you to choose which laws are special and which ones are not? But we do that all the time. Paul says, that's a, oh, that's a terrible path to start going down. Did you see that? Verse 3. Um, no, we haven't looked at verse 3 yet. Let's look at verse 3. Again, Paul says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you want to go down the path of performance and punishment, then you'd better go all the way to perfection because that's what that contract demands of you. You better perfectly keep all 1613 rules and rituals and regulations. And Paul's saying, Legalism is a morbid taskmaster. But this is Paul's challenge. Oh, you want to go? Let's go there. You, you want to start picking special laws to make God? Let's, let's go all the way then. So if you, Todd Smith, decide that you're going to plant some seeds, you know that you, Todd, cannot plant two different kinds of seeds in the same field? Or you're out with God. That's a law. I mean, let's, I mean, let's go all the way, right? If you happen to have your period, you have to excuse yourself from the general population and be in isolation for seven days. Otherwise, you and God are not okay. And by the way, the things you touch become unclean during that time. So if somebody goes and touches whatever you might have touched or, or interacted with during your seven days, they become unclean, and God's not thrilled with them. You're out. You're in violation and in breach of the contract. If you're sitting in this room, by the way, and you're wearing something with two different fabrics in the same outfit, you're in violation. You're in breach of contract with your faux leather and ghetto lining. Like, you can't do that. That's a biblical no-no. There's verses to prove it. And when you have an idea that you're going to, like, Trim your sideburns or your beard. Don't. You do that and you are in violation of a biblical contract with God. You can't do that. And it's interesting, it doesn't even specify gender. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, you know what? Equality. Um, if your hair gets all janky and very unkempt, and very ratchety, the Bible says you and God are not cool. In fact, you know the consequences of having unkempt hair? Death. And I saw you eating that rare steak at a restaurant with blood in it. That is a biblical no-no. You do not do that. And there are hundreds and hundreds of other laws just like it. Paul is saying if you start picking special laws, you are now obligated to keep all of them. And I guarantee you 94% of them you've never even heard of. Some of us aren't enjoying the freedom Jesus won for us because we've chosen those certain laws and we've given those special laws the power to decide whether or not God loves us. And by the way, this is such a torturously exhausting way to live. You know that, right? Because you pick whatever your special law is, and you say, okay, I'm not going to 
have that extra drink. And then you go four weeks straight of not having that extra drink. And then people ask you how you're doing. And you've been waiting for them to ask you so you can tell them, I'm doing so great in the Lord. Why? Because I haven't done that one magic thing that God hates so much. And so now he's smiling. And I feel like he can use me. And I feel worthy of the blood of Jesus. The problem is week five comes and you slip up. And then holy Jenga. The whole thing just crumbles to the ground. And then you have to start picking up the pieces. But you, you, you've got to, you can't just go four weeks. You have to at least get to four weeks just to break even. So God's just like neutral with you. And then it, maybe in the fifth week, God is going to smile and say, now you've earned back credit. And now we are good again. And just as you were celebrating getting to five weeks the next time, Paul writes a letter to you and says, oh, by the way, you might not have realized that in your garden there are two different kinds of seeds that you absolutely messed up on within 10 minutes of starting your commitment. You've been messing up in a thousand ways you were not even aware of. If you want to start down this path, it is going to exhaust you. And then when you're done, you're going to look back and realize if it was based on my performance, I've been breaking his law in more ways than I was even aware. Paul would say, rip up the contract. Jesus has done it. He said it is finished. Why are you still striving? If you could have reached perfection, Jesus would not have needed to come. But as it is, he did. And he has accomplished it for us. And I wonder if for some of us, that's not where we are. We're just exhausted. We can't enjoy the freedom because we have to, to watch that one thing and make sure that we don't violate that thing so God stays loving of us. And Paul says, not only that, but legalism hurts relationship. Legalism hurts Relationship. I don't know about you, but again, I, I know that there are special things that I believe that God hates in my life more than he hates others. There are special things that I will promote to a certain level. And when I mess up in one of those things, my immediate response is to hide from him, to give him time to cool off, uh, and to give myself time to prove that I was worth his blood, to start my holy streak over again. But I will hide and I'll keep my distance from him. And the reason I do that is because I'm still convinced that when I messed up, he is now angry with me. The problem is if I believe he is angry with me, I'm not coming close to someone who's angry with me. I'm going to stay at a distance and our relationship is hurt. That's what Paul says in verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You have been distanced from Christ. You've been alienated from Christ. Because again, if my performance, if my behavior, my ability to keep those special rules in my life is the reason he's smiling at me, then what's he doing when I mess up? Well, he's frowning. Now he's mad. Why would you want to hang out with someone like that? No, my relationship with him is going to be distanced. And that's why some of us don't enjoy the freedom of running towards him and living for him because we're anchored down by his imaginary frown. 
the hardest thing for me to believe. I'm not, Jesus rose from the grave, yes. Jesus died on a cross, yes. Jesus performed miracles, yes. God created the world by speaking, yes. Yes, 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 yes. The hardest thing for me to believe is that God is smiling even when I sin. And I know I'm not the only one. In fact, some of you are uncomfortable with that. You want me to make a thousand disclaimers. No, he's not. He's mad. Whoa, whoa, hang on a second. If God poured out his anger, his wrath on Jesus on the cross, how is God still wrathful towards me? The most difficult thing for me to believe is that God loves me and smiles over me when I mess up. Now, when I'm on a streak, I can believe it. And what I am saying in that is it's based on my performance. And it hurts my relationship with Jesus because I'll go to Jesus as frequently as I feel I'm performing well enough to be worthy of going to Jesus. And so I'm back and forth, and my relationship with him does this all the time. And Paul says something really challenging. He says, and legalism invites Satan. Legalism invites Satan. Because when I start entering into this contract of performance and punishment, do you know what I'm saying? I am saying Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. And Paul calls that a satanic, that's an anti-Christ-like statement. Jesus is not enough. Verse 7 and 8 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Paul, who does it come from? And the not-so-subtle insinuations, it comes from the devil. And any time Satan shows up, real freedom starts to leave. And it's a big deal. And it's so ironic, by the way, because in my desire, you know, to, to, to prove myself to God, I'm inviting the very power that makes it more difficult for me to live for him. And it can look really spiritual to people watching because my behavior seems so intent at times, and yet my behavior is fueled by the statement that Jesus' work was not enough, so I've got to do it. And Paul says, that's demonic. To call Christ insufficient and to disobey the gospel, that's not from the Lord. And if there's any question how passionately Paul wants God's people to live in freedom, um, he, he, he removes any question by being super rude towards the end of this section. Look at verse 9, and I'll read through this quickly. It says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Verse 10, I'm confident in the Lord that you would take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, who is bringing legalism into the equation, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision or legalism or church attendance or porn or over-drinking or whatever, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, this is so cold, Paul, not very Jesus-like. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's not nice. But do you get Paul's point? 
hey, listen, if you think that cutting a little bit off makes you right with God, you might as well cut off the whole thing. Then God will really be pleased. You see, Paul is saying, stop that. It breaks down everywhere you go. But if nothing else, this is Paul saying, do not give way to legalism in your church. And as a church, we want to be very careful that we are not giving way or we're not preaching a version of legalism. We're not saying it's Jesus plus anything for God to smile. We want to be saying it's Jesus and Jesus alone and his work is sufficient and his righteousness covers you. It's not about your performance. That contract was ripped when the curtain was torn. This will rob us of our freedom. Let me say one more thing. Because here's the question. We're going to spend some time. You see this because I know some of you need to breathe just a little bit. So let me just give you a little breath. Does this mean that the law doesn't matter? Does this mean that obeying God doesn't matter? Can I just nip that in the bud? God killed his own son because of the violation of his law. The law matters immensely. We cannot get twisted over that. Paul isn't saying the law doesn't matter. He's simply saying the law has no power to change God's posture towards you. The law is powerful, but one thing it cannot do is make God love you more or make God love you less. It has no power to do that. And we'll talk about the law in the coming weeks. Um, because there's something that I think sneaks into our lives when it comes to the law, and we're going to need to just grow in processing this. And I believed this for most of my Christian life without even saying it out loud. I believed I am saved by faith. Thank you, Jesus. But then I'm changed by works. Thank you, Kondo. So if you ask me, who are the godliest people in the world? And how are they the godliest people in the world? The godliest people in the world are the people who try harder to obey the law of God. That's what I would have said. Because the harder you work, the more you try, the more you are changed, and the more you obey the law. So I love what Paul says in verse 5 of Galatians 5. And team, you guys can come out and we can do a song here to rap. But verse 5, look at what it says. It says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For through the Spirit we eagerly await for the faith, uh, by faith for the righteousness for which we hope. Jesus accomplished righteousness for me. But now the Holy Spirit is producing righteousness in me. And we're going to see the way this beauty works together in the gospel. And freedom is enjoyed when I start to realize it's the Holy Spirit who works to make me like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who works in me to empower me to obey the commands of God. It's not so much my effort and my trying. If my effort was enough, Jesus would not have needed to come. But it's the Spirit at work in me. doesn't mean I don't try. It just means I realize that's not where the power 
comes from. And then let me show you one more thing. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I love that. The law matters. Obeying God matters. But unless we understand what Jesus has done, we'll never obey God the way God longs for us to obey him. That Jesus Christ on the cross has forgiven me and he's freed me. There's such power and there's beauty in that. And then he says it's the Holy Spirit is now working to produce the character of Jesus. And we'll talk about that when we get to the fruit of the Spirit. You can't make fruit grow by trying harder. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work in me. And there's something beautiful that starts to happen. And I love this. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. <laughs> Does the law matter? Yes. But you know what God wants from his people? Freedom. And freedom means I obey God, not so that he'll love me. I obey God because I love him. Jesus, why would you give your life for me? Why would you pay the penalty for me? That is so beautiful. The only thing I can say is thank you. The only thing I can say is I love you. The only thing I can say is I want to do everything I can to make. And all of a sudden, I'm doing it because I love him. Not because I'm afraid of him. Not because I'm trying to get him to love me. It's because I know I'm loved and I just can't understand why you would love me like this. And so now I just want to live out of love. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's freedom. I obey you because I love you. Not because I'm scared, not because I'm trying to get you to do something, but because you did something. And I just want to live for you. There's beauty in that. And so, Spirit of the living God, I pray that even as we continue this conversation, you'd set us free from places where we're still trying to obey so that you would do something. But you've already done it. Help us to obey because you've done it and because we love you and because it's our response and find joy and freedom in that. So break chains, Lord. I pray that you would rid us of lies until it's Jesus and Jesus alone, until it's his spirit we are leaning on to make us more like him. Because we long to live for you because we love you, but we can't do it apart from your spirit's power in us. So help us to continue running from the cross to the Spirit and from the Spirit to the cross and from the cross to the Spirit until we find ourselves living fully for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd invite you to stand and respond um, as you would like as the Spirit is leading as the team closes us.